0: Moment, But if someone were to ask, um, why should we believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, uh, what would you say? Well, well, I'd say to them, first, that he's the only possible candidate, and if it's not him, that we'll never have a Messiah. That I could demonstrate the Messiah had to come, die for our sins, and rise from the dead before the second temple was destroyed, which happened in the year seventy. I would say that he had to be the one who was rejected on a national level by his people but became a light for the nations so that he's followed around the world and has brought multitudes of people to worship the God of Israel. I'd also point out that as Jewish people that the temple's been destroyed for almost 2,000 years. And I would ask what sin have we committed that's so grave that the temple has still stood in ruins, not been rebuilt in all this time, and I'd ask if God ordained the sacrificial system for atonement uh, in conjunction with repentance, etc., without that, without the blood, where do we have atonement? So from a number of different levels, I would show through various prophecies and through spiritual principles that he must be our Messiah. Uh, uh, Today I got a phone call from an Orthodox Jew from Israel. He was talking to some Messianic Jews there, and and he raised some issues to them and they told him to call my show. So he was very polite called from Israel. And we were talking back and forth and I said, okay, we agree that the first temple, Solomon's temple was destroyed because of idolatry, because of, of murder and injustice, immorality. And, and it was destroyed for several hundred years before it was rebuilt. We agree on that. Yes, I said, and why was the second temple destroyed? According to Jewish tradition, it's, it's Sinat Chinam, which is baseless hatred. I said, do you believe that's why the second temple was destroyed? Yes, baseless hatred. I said, and it still is in ruins to this day. I said, could it have been baseless hatred against the Messiah? which, of course, the New Testament explicitly teaches that they, they hated me without cause. I mean, what sin would be so great and a sin that we've continued to commit by continuing to reject him? So obviously we unpack all those in great depth, but that would be my, my short answer. And by the way, as to that last point, what, what, is, the, what is the response there? Is there is, what's the alternative to Jesus as far as um, why the, the temple has not been, been rebuilt? Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing, and of course, t- for traditional Jews, it's a cause of, of mourning. Uh, the Talmud does say it was baseless hatred, but it was, it was hatred w- within the people of Israel, that there was strife and incivility and things like that, and that led to other problems and bloodshed. But I- again, it's, it's one of those questions where I've not gotten a good, solid answer. I've received humble answers in terms of our ongoing sin, or we haven't been worthy of the Temple being rebuilt. But the comparison that the Talmud makes, and to me the weakness of the answer about baseless hatred, um, underscores the problem. And bear in mind that that the Talmud is—it comes to its editorial conclusion 5600 A.D. So even then it was a question and problem. How much more
1: now, when so much mm-hmm. more time has elapsed? Mm-hmm. Many have discovered that Jesus is indeed their Jewish Messiah. Since the rabbis have rejected the Messiah, the concept of Messiah in modern Judaism is no longer based on the Old Testament, but rather on various rabbinic traditions they formulated themselves. They have declared that their traditions are the oral law, claiming they were given by God at Sinai verbally, along with the written commandments of the Bible. However, these traditions have caused a lot of confusion and conflict regarding the identity of the Messiah, even among the rabbis themselves. Jews truly wish to know who the Messiah is. There's a need to set rabbinic traditions aside and go directly to the source, the Old Testament. The Old Testament contains a complete ID kit so that the people of Israel can recognize the Messiah and put their faith in him. Even the sages admit, only the prophets prophesied only towards the messianic era. Tractate, Sanhedrin, 99a, Free Translation from Hebrew How Messianic Prophecy Works Chapter 44 and 45 of the Book of Isaiah were written around 700 BC. Isaiah prophesied and mentioned Cyrus by name. He prophesied that Cyrus would allow Israel to rebuild Jerusalem and the Temple. When the prophecy was written, Jerusalem and the Temple were still intact and Cyrus was not yet born. Over 100 years later, 586 BC, Jerusalem was conquered and destroyed by the Babylonians. Later, when the Persians conquered Babylon, King Cyrus of Persia issued his decree to rebuild the city and the temple. All this happened nearly 160 years after Isaiah made his prophecy. In the same way, the Old Testament also contains future prophecies about the Messiah's nature and identity to help his people recognize him. Another type of prophecy which is very much in use in the Bible is called parallelism. I will expand on that with an example in chapter 10. Parallels between Joseph and David that point to the Messiah. By the way, these prophecies were given to the people of Israel in order for them to examine each candidate according to these criteria. The problem is that 2,000 years ago, all of the scrolls documenting Israel's family lineages were destroyed along with the temple. Therefore, ever since the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, we can no longer know who is truly a descendant of David. This is a serious problem for the rabbis, but it's not a problem if the Messiah came before 70 AD. The lineage of the Messiah? The Messiah, according to 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17, must be a descendant of David, and indeed, Jesus' mother comes from the house of David. The birthplace of the Messiah? Micah 5 predicts that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, where Jesus was indeed born. The time of his first coming? Daniel 9 predicts that the Messiah will come before the destruction of the second temple and that in the year 32 CE, he will be sentenced to a violent death. Indeed, Jesus was crucified on 14 Nisan in the year 32 CE. The nature of the Messiah's birth? Like many of the heroes in the Bible who were supernaturally born by barren women, Isaiah prophesied in chapter 7 that the birth of the Messiah would be supernatural from a virgin maiden. The New Testament describes Jesus' birth from his mother Miriam, who was a virgin maiden. What will be the nature of the Messiah? According to Daniel 7, Isaiah 9 and Zechariah 12, the nature of the Messiah will be like the nature of God himself, the embodiment of God to mankind. And indeed, the New Testament refers to Jesus as the Son of God, one with God and the embodiment of God. Just like Metatron, whose character is described hundreds of years after Jesus in the writings of Jewish mysticism and in the Zohar. Where will the Messiah live? According to Zechariah 9, the Messiah is to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. This teaches us two things. First, the Messiah won't be some well-born famous rabbi who has millions. Second, he will live in the land of Israel, as he will be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's back. Merely for the sake of comparison, Shabbat's king Messiah, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, whose yellow posters are plastered on every street corner in Israel, was not only not born in Bethlehem, but he never even set foot in either Jerusalem or in Israel. Jesus, unlike the Lubavitcher Rebbe, was born and raised in Israel, and did enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. What will he do? According to Isaiah chapter 35, as well as other prophets in the Old Testament, the Messiah will cure incurable diseases, open the eyes of the blind, heal the disabled, cleanse the lepers, open the ears of the deaf, unbind the tongues of the mute, Exorcise demons and even resurrect the dead. And indeed, Jesus cured countless people, exercised evil spirits and raised the dead. Ironically, according to the Talmud, The rabbis themselves admit to the supernatural powers demonstrated by Jesus and his disciples. However, according to them, the miracles were brought about through satanic magical powers. For example, consider what Rabbi Daniel Assar had to say. Jesus was a false prophet, for he acted only through sorcery. He himself is the embodiment of Satanism. In reality, even during Jesus' lifetime, the rabbis accused him of performing his supernatural miracles by the power of Satan and in Satan's name. However, Jesus easily refuted their claims when he answered them. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. Matthew twelve twenty five twenty six. 26 The response of Israel and the Gentiles? This was also prophesied in advance. According to Isaiah chapter 53 and Psalm 22, the Messiah was to be rejected by his own people, as they degraded him and led him to his death. And what about the Gentiles? The book of Jonah makes it clear. The God of Israel does not belong to or is not limited only to the nation of Israel, as taught by Rabbinic Halasha. Rather, he loves loves all of his creation. Yes, yes, even the Gentiles. Just like rabbis nowadays, Jonah the prophet had difficulties accepting this message. But just as God promised Abraham that from his seed would come a blessing to all Gentiles, the Messiah was indeed the stone that the builders rejected, as prophesied in Psalm 118, but the one that God chose to be the cornerstone. Jesus was made the main foundation stone on which God built up and sent out the blessing he had promised to all other nations around the world. Since Jesus' time to this day, Millions of Christians believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Thanks to whom? To the rabbis? No, to Jesus, of course. What about his death and the purpose for which he came? According to Psalm 22, Isaiah 53 and Zechariah 12, the people of Israel will pierce him and lead him to his death by crucifixion, without realizing that they've actually pierced the Messiah. But in his grace... God will use that misguided action to inflict the sins and trespasses of all mankind upon his Son. And indeed, Jesus was crucified as a sacrifice in order to atone for our sins. These were just a few examples out of hundreds of prophecies and parallels in the Bible regarding the Messiah's character, nature and identity. This should be enough to whet anyone's appetite, but the entire witness of Old Testament prophecy is something every seeker of truth should think about seriously and prayerfully. Statistically speaking, the probability that these examples are mere coincidences, luck, or self-fulfilling prophecies, is outright impossible. For sake of argument, let's only take three of these messianic prophecies, which should withstand scrutiny by any truthful observer. 1. He will be Jewish 2. He will be born in Bethlehem 3. He will die in the year 32 AD Even if one ignores all the other prophecies for a moment and concentrates on those three alone, only a handful of Messiah candidates might stand. Now comes the challenge as the reader examines the following prophecies, starting with the next chapter. Forget man-made traditions, ceremonies, or any other religious rituals that aim to impress God as your basis for faith. In this information age, with doors wide open to ancient manuscripts and countless sources for cross-referencing to check facts, Is it right for some rabbi or priest to decide for the people what they should and shouldn't think? God created his people with a mind and a healthy measure of logic to help them evaluate Bible prophecies for themselves. After all, up there, no rabbi or priest will be around to hold anyone's hand. Up there, it's just between you and God.